Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talking Smack. Thanks for sticking with us after our uh, unexpected break. With me this week is a very dear friend of mine, Matt Leparada. Matt, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. And we are going to be doing the Black Panther review this week. But first, we have the news. Uh, because we've been gone so long, we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit on some older news. Most of it is trailers because we haven't been around since the Super Bowl. First things first, I'm going to put a timestamp in the, the episode description. This is a little bit of spoiler discussion for Avengers Infinity War. You and I have already discussed mm-hmm. this. We're going to put a timestamp in here in the description. If you don't want to hear the spoiler talk, skip ahead, look at the time or the, the description, and skip ahead to wherever the description says. For those of you sticking through the spoiler discussion, we've had some new toys for Avengers Infinity War come through. And from what I've seen, the most kind of spoilery thing is we've known that Thor is going to be getting a new weapon through the poster that was revealed at Comic-Con, but we didn't know what it was. Was it going to be Yarnbjorn, his axe, or was it going to be some kind of return of Mjolnir? Well, it looks like it's going to be a little bit of both because uh, he's getting Stormbreaker, which is the name of his new hammer, but it also has an axe on the end. So it looks a little bit like... Beta Ray Bill's hammer with a little bit of the ultimate hammer mixed in there as well. Yeah, so Stormbreaker is like the um, the name of of the of Beta Ray Bill's sort of second hammer that Odin made for him in the comics and Walt Simonson's run. But you pointed out that that one is a little more rounded. Um, this one is a little more of like a a, a square. A square kind of looks a, from the toy that I looked at. Um, I only kind of didn't do a ton of investigative glancing whatever that means but it looks like it's kind of like um pieced together like it's a like it look kind of look like a stick like maybe it was tied together in some way yeah there's like a vine or something yeah together um so so it's so it's in that way it sort of seems like it's different than both of the references that you that you were drawing on but it's an interesting little kind of nod i guess to two different versions of thor they obviously pay homage to beta ray bill with the name uh, it's got Allure in comics, and then obviously they also bring in the ultimate design, uh, but it's obviously a little bit different because, like mm. you said, it's it's a little it's like a stick with some vines holding the the actual hammer part together. Yeah. Uh, so the question becomes: Is it Uru? Is it the pieces of Mjolnir, or is it something new? Yeah, it's a good question. I, that's, I was going to bring that up. Is um, and you know I don't necessarily want to need to see this in in uh, detail in Avengers, but. What is it? What's it made of? I think it would be very cool if it was just like, oh, here's a couple of pieces of the hammer that was shattered in Thor Ragnarok, just sort of cobbled together to make something that he can swing around. The concept art they have on the front of the box, that's about as far as my uh, research went. Mm -hmm. The hammer looks pretty big uh, compared to Thor. Like It it looks about the size of Gimli's axe. Sure, 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 sure. sure. So it looks a little bigger. Uh, I I should say... in relation to like Gimli to Thor, right, right, right? Thor is supposed to be about four and a half feet tall. Yeah, as than opposed to a small Gimli. dwarf. Yeah, but the the axe is pretty large, even for Thor holding it, or the hammer, or whatever you want mm. to call it. It's pretty big, so the toy obviously is not to size or to yeah. scale. Look like a little mallet. The toy looks like a little mallet you would yeah. get in like a Fisher Price. But it's it's interesting to see that they're not giving him Yarnbjorn the the just a straight up axe, uh, but they're going to go with. Uh, some kind of combination with uh, Stormbreaker. It's really cool. Uh, we're starting to see some more stuff from Infinity War leak out. I'm trying to avoid as many spoilers yeah, as I same, can. Yeah, same, But the minute I saw Thor's weapon, I was like, I gotta know. <laughs> well, I'm curious to know exactly because we don't know 
for as far as we know, you know, Chris Hemsworth is out. You know, after the next movie, he did a late night with Seth Meyers, I think, and he said his contract is done unless yeah, they come up with a script for pretty much for that's on par with what they did in Ragnarok. He's done. Yeah, and I think that's the case of everybody. Everybody's up after after Avengers Four, whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah, so I it's still think it's gonna be Secret Wars. Uh, is it, it's interesting to see that they're just kind of. I was gonna say that it's interesting that, that they are sticking with it, um, but also. It's not like they have to deal with it in another Thor movie, as far as we know, either. So it's not doesn't seem like it's that hard to stick with it. So it's interesting, but also it's like, okay, it's whatever. So I think we're going to end the spoiler talk there. For those of you that are skipping ahead, welcome back. Uh, moving on in the news, uh, we had Alita Battle Angel push back from July 20th of this year to December 21st of this year. Need more time to work on those eyes. <laughs> Got to make them bigger. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm not too surprised. There's a lot of kickback, whatever you want. To, there's a lot of people really not intrigued by this movie or swearing off this movie just because it, I, I honestly, I say this every week we talk about this. I thought it was going to be a sequel to Final Fantasy Spirits Within. It, <laughs> it the, is a weird the looking, way it the trailer opens looks weird. And yeah. how glossy everything is, even mm. the real people. I thought it was just really good CGI. I'm like, oh, are they going to try and do a sequel to Spirits Within for some reason? Yeah, or, yeah. But it's interesting. I'm curious to see how it does just because it's a, you know based on a popular anime and so many of those, so many of those, whether or not they've been announced or actually come to fruition, have been met with such backlash by fans. Part of that is the casting or the perspective casting where it's like, let's cast a bunch of white people in this Japanese ma- uh, anime. And then try and get around the casting by saying that they were once a Japanese person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't know how much of it is like, is that um, if they're just people are just like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to. I just want to watch the anime. Well, but as as we'll discuss later with Black Panther, doors might be opening to get more representation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's. I mean, I sort of am of the of the mind where like, and I know that. I'm saying this when I'm about to gush over Black Panther in a little bit, but like, it's okay to let the anime be the anime. You don't have to remake it. So that's why I sort of dismiss all those things myself. But also, like, just if you're going to do it, just cast people that resemble the story. Yeah, right? not, not like Hellboy, where they have a, an Asian American guy and then they cast the first Dario Naharis. I forget. Oh, his yeah, name. Ed yeah, Screen. Yeah. You know, oh, he's supposed to be Asian American. Ed Screen. Ed Screen yeah, looks that's perfect. Good for Beautiful, that role. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I sort of went on a tangent there, but I feel like that people are against it partially because they're just remaking things for whatever reason to make money, but also because they don't seem to be doing justice to the, to the source material. The source material. Yeah. And then uh, other things that were pushed back, and I should mention both of these are Fox properties. Uh, the Predator was moved from August 3rd, which has kind of been the Guardians of the Galaxy window. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they really hit it big in that window back in 2014, I believe. Yeah, it's on the first yeah. one came out. That first weekend of August has kind of been a, a good window for places. I think that's also where Suicide Squad came out. You know, those movies did really well. The Predator was going to hit there, uh, which is being directed by Shane Black, Iron Man 3's oh, yeah. Shane mm-hmm. Black, uh, who is also the screenwriter for the original Predator movie, plus obviously movies like uh, Lethal Weapon and the, the Nice Guys, I think was the one. That was, was. I believe that was him. Yeah. He also did a Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I don't know if he wrote it, but he directed it. He, he wrote it too. Mm. Um, but yeah, those are all fantastic movies yeah. in my opinion. I'm I'm excited for the Predator. Uh, I think it is guaranteed to have an R rating, but I, I think they're moving it to September 14th to hit that it window. 
Sure. Because I believe that's yeah. where it came out last year, and I think they're trying to hit that mid-Halloween vibe or pre-Halloween. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, I actually honestly forgot until you're talking over the notes or looking at the notes that there was a new Predator movie coming out. Like, I totally forgot. But no, but hearing, uh, being reminded that Shane Black is doing it, that makes me pretty intrigued because he's a pretty solid director. So hopefully that's a good move for them. Yep. Is there anything else coming out that, that August 3rd that you know of that would maybe... I don't know if anything else is taking that spot. Um, if you want to go off a little bit on your love for Shane Black or something, I can take a quick uh, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's all right. I, I'm just curious to know because sometimes it seems like they push stuff out of like, oh, we were going to come out and it turns out that Star Wars is coming out that day or something where you know, you're going to get slaughtered if you release against a movie that is, you know, very obviously going to be the draw that weekend or something. So I did pull it up. Uh, the other movies coming out that weekend are The Equalizer 2, starring Denzel Washington. Okay. Uh, did not know that movie was getting a sequel. Yep. <laughs> uh, the Spy Who Dumped Me, okay. starring Kate McKinnon, Mila Kunis, and Sam Hewen. Two best friends unwittingly become entangled in an international conspiracy. All right. Intrigue. That's a decent cast, but I don't know. And then uh, Christopher Robin, starring Ewan McGregor, Haley Atwell, and Jim Cummings. I might just see that for the cast. Yeah. Christopher Robin, now an adult, returns to the 100-acre wood where Winnie the Pooh lives. Uh, if Jim Cummings is actually cast as Winnie the Pooh in that movie, and it's some weird... Uh, is, he like a, is he like a cranky old dad? No, he's coming Winnie back the Pooh. As, no, Christopher Robin. Oh, sorry. Christopher Robin. <laughs> cranky old dad is his <laughs> Winnie the Pooh is the cranky old dad. I would watch that. I'm just curious if they're doing like a straight up like hook. Disney's version of Ted. Yeah. <laughs> just call it Pooh. It's like the H really small. Yeah, all, all it says is Christopher Robin, now an adult, returns to the 100 Acre Wood. So all right. I'm guessing it's probably some kind of coming of age thing where yeah. he accepts his role as Christopher Robin. Shows up, he eats some imaginary food. He meets the punk kid that is going to teach him how to be Chris Robin again. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Hook. Yeah, oh, explicitly. <laughs> so yeah, August 3rd is pretty much vacated. Um, I, I'm guessing The Equalizer 2 will take that weekend. Yeah, I, so, I may, so it's not like a big movie coming out. They just probably needed more time or that was a better weekend for him or something. Yeah, I, I think it's probably what I just said about the uh, the Hallow- pre-Halloween weekend, trying yeah. to take advantage of that it window. Yeah, yeah. Now we're going, going to get into our trailers. Um, first one I have up, we're going to start strong, and we're going to talk about the Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer. That was a good trailer. That was a really good trailer. Uh, one of the things that I've heard a lot of people that I trust talking about this movie is, um, I forget the name of the director right now. Oh, I I don't know off the top of my, I can't remember it either. I can't. Oh, the, the, the Ant-Man director, you mean? Yeah. Uh, oh, Peyton Reed, is that Peyton it? Peyton Reed, yes, yeah. you're right. A lot of people are very curious to see what he can do with his own movie, because he kind sure. of took over Edgar Wright's yeah. movie. And Excuse I mean, me. it turned out, the first one. It was okay. It was it wasn't bad. Um, it was fun. Yeah, it was it was fun, and it turned out I think considering as much of a sort of story development that movie had, and you know knowing what you know, and even though we don't we don't know for sure, but like imagining what we could have had with a director like I'd be right. You know, Ant Man. It was about as good as you could expect with all everything surrounding it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I am very interested to see sort of sink or swim on its own. On Peyton Reed's on merits, rather. Yeah, and I mean he's he's got the the full team back as well, as far as I understand. So I don't think there should be a huge drop off. Obviously, he's not going to be working off of a, an Edgar Wright script or blueprint or however mm-hmm. much of Edgar Wright's script actually made it in. I can pretty much guarantee you everything Luis did in that movie was Edgar Wright. I would believe that. I would buy yeah. that. Yeah. Which that stuff was great. That was the best bit in the entire movie. Yeah. 
But I, I'm excited. Uh, the wasp costume looks great. Uh, the internet thinks that her chest piece looks like a penis, but I mean, what on the internet doesn't look like a penis? <laughs> I guess I don't. I don't. Didn't make much note of it. I've seen that trailer a few times now. I haven't noticed. Does does it particularly look phallic or? Yeah, I mean, you've got like a long pointed down thing, and then two. Yeah, I guess that's true. For the boob plate, but I guess I that's mean, true. That's sort of how it's. I mean, just how you described it. That's sort of how it's always looked in the comics. Yeah. So it, it's just people nitpicking. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people are disappointed that it's not the same design that we saw at the end of Ant-Man. But sure. it also makes sense that after a year or two uh, that there would be modifications made. Right. So it's not as vibrant, but I think from what we've seen so far, it does look really good. Yeah, and then that, that trailer is very heavy on um, Wasp action, and I think that's all yeah, it looks like solid uh, stuff. It looks like Scott Lang is incapacitated for the first act or two of the movie because uh, obviously he's going to suffer some repercussions for joining yeah. the civil war. The, the trailer draws very heavily like, Oh yeah. It, like sh- several shots from that movie. Yeah. The the big question is, does this take place before or after infinity war? I feel like it pretty much has to take place before infinity war. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess it would depend on how infinity war plays out where unless they revert time or something, it really makes no sense that we're going to be seeing him getting, uh, place under house arrest and everything like that. Yeah, unless there's like some flashbacks or something. Mm-hmm. The first one was sort of like a weird postscript to Age of Ultron. That was the one that came out after Avengers, yeah. right? Um, so maybe somehow this one will be the same. But I mean, if, if the movie is about them on the run, I guess I we haven't seen Infinity War yet, so we don't know how they factor into yeah, it. Yeah, un- unless, unless Infinity War almost completely takes place on a separate planet. I don't see how this movie really can remain as calm as it as it can be. Sure, sure, sure. So I I don't know. It's, it, I don't like speculating because obviously yeah, we don't yeah, have yeah. the inside look, and it's fun to speculate. But at the same time, you're putting yourself out there, and well, we're on the internet. So. Right. Why else to Why else does a guy have a podcast if you can't speculate out <laughs> into the wild? Uh, but like, I think that's actually an interesting idea it, that I hadn't considered before. I just assumed that whatever happens in Infinity War, it will leave it in a position that. Now Ant-Man's going to have an adventure. But that would be an interesting way to take it where... Because we don't know... We we know they're both going to show up. I think possibly... Are they all, are all three of them going to show up? I believe the Wasp won't be showing up until Avengers 4. Okay. Just because Peyton Reed said he he thinks the Wasp deserves to show up first in her own yeah, movie. Yeah, I buy that. Not as a very small part to a big ensemble. Sure, that makes sense. So we, yeah, so we don't know what Infinity War is going to do with... With uh, Paul Rudd and Ant-Man, all that stuff, but it would be an interesting move for them to go. Okay, well, that movie, which may or may not end on a huge cliffhanger, did its thing. Now let's rewind it a few minutes and see what this guy was up to. I still think it show. It, I still think Infinity War ends on a cliffhanger, but it's going to be Carol Danvers showing up. I would buy that, and at the th- I mean, not. I guess um, you know. I think even though there are no longer Infinity War parts one and two, I think there's they were still. It's still shot back be a to back. They were still like a two-parter. So yeah, I, I know they're holding back on the title bet. of Avengers Four because they don't want to reveal like what happens at the end of Infinity War. So we'll probably get a title reveal either shortly after or at San Diego Comic Con. Sure, I would. I would not be surprised if like um, the end of Infinity War was like to be continued in Avengers. Captain America is really dead, you guys, or whatever <laughs> they call it. That's very true. I mean, they could even drop the trailer in the post credits because yeah. they shot the whole thing back to back. So well, that's what they did with um, way back when with the first Captain America. The post credit scene of that was an Avengers trailer. 
essentially. Very true. And I remember being really pissed about uh, not getting the trailer in the trailer section. Yeah. Right. And I turned to our buddy Nick, um, and he he's, I was just like, oh, man, no Avengers trailer. He's like, just wait. <laughs> and then we got through the post credits, and, you know, some assembly required. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was actually, I was honestly, and I, I don't know why I was thinking this, because I was sort of curious about it, or I was thinking back, and they didn't do this for Avengers 2, but like this is Black Panther, is the last movie before Infinity War, so I was like, maybe this post credit scene will be like, surprise, here's some teaser footage. Spoilers, it wasn't. For some reason, I wasn't going, and I was like, "This that would be cool. That, it, that would be really nice, but I mean, we've already had plenty of Infinity War stuff show yeah, up, yeah, so... Yeah. Um, it's not surprising. And the post credit stuff we got was really great. Yeah. Which we'll get to, I'm sure. So the next trailer we have is uh, Venom, mm-hmm. which I might as well just put movie. Because <laughs> this could be anything. This could even yeah. be a... I was, I, the worst part of the Black Panther movie was I had to sit through this trailer twice. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So someone flipped a switch or something, and it just killed the lights and the projector. And oh. so they had to like reboot so it. it. Oh no! And we had to sit through the Venom trailer again, but this time without sound. And it was just, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but watching it the second time without sound, like this could be a Ghost Rider trailer, and no one would really know. Yeah, the thing that the thing that you said um, somewhere, maybe it was to me, maybe it was somewhere online, but that it could just be a generic, you know, supernatural thriller, which which I would say I don't think is a is a terrible direction that you can go with like a Venom movie. If you're going to do a Venom movie, I have you know reservations about doing a Venom movie to begin with. There's nothing in this trailer that you know leans into that. It's still it's just Tom Hardy running around. There's like a, a shot of like the goo. Yeah, there's a shot of the goo, and then you see like a little bit of like a tendril or something. Oh yeah, like right at the end. Yeah, neck. yeah. But again, that could be anything. Yeah, there's nothing in this trailer, and it's a teaser trailer, so maybe we'll get more. That's whatever but that fanboy response has been irritating the hell out of me (laughs) oh i know (laughs) it i understand it's a teaser trailer but you need to tease what the movie is yeah it doesn't say random action sequences in there even if it's just you see the giant black form of venom just like turning but you see like the white silhouette of the the venom symbol that's all you need you don't need to see the face you don't need to see the teeth you don't need to see the tongue you don't need the drool or whatever else is going to be in there because i'm sure they're going to just go balls to the wall with the seth mcfarlane design todd mcfarlane todd mcfarlane yeah yeah, i get those two mixed up all the time they're both bad (laughs) well todd mcfarlane is a great artist but he's i think he's kind of a crappy dude (laughs) i love seth mcfarlane like i don't care for family guy anymore but i think he's a great person I, i like him a lot and then I, I do really enjoy uh, the Oroville. I haven't seen it. I recommend it. It's it's really good, like old school Star Trek. That's what I heard. It's I it's seemed like super, haha. We're doing goofy Star Trek, and then apparently they just started doing actual Star Trek. Yeah, which is like, all right. And then they just have like a little bit of like some inappropriate humor. Yeah. And then, but it's great. I, I enjoy it a lot. And there, there's some like really good stuff. Like uh, there's an episode where. So an all-male race of aliens has a child, but the child is born female. Interesting. And so they have the way their society works is they immediately have to do a sex change operation on the child. All right. And so now it becomes this whole like, what's the moral thing to do? Right. All right. Yeah. Star Trek. Like we can't interfere, but also like, is it proper for them to do this? Is it right for them to do this? And the the really funny thing is like all the human people, all the human crew are like, you can't change the sex of the baby. That's wrong. You need to let them grow up and make this decision themselves. 
And the way they turn their crew member to think the way they do is they show them show him Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like if Rudolph didn't, if Rudolph had a, a change of who he was, he wouldn't be operation. able to help. Yeah. He wouldn't be able to help on Christmas. And so he's like, we need to let this baby grow up. And then it, it's a whole thing. But it's a really good and very poignant episode. Do you think it says something about this trailer that we just went off on this tangent just because I, I... There's more important the things to talk about. But yeah, the, the Venom trailer is... It's nothing. It's a teaser trailer that teases nothing. Yeah. It, it, it could it have been Mission Impossible. It doesn't tell you really anything about what it's about, what they're kind of... I guess if you really squint, if you know the character, you could see a few... Maybe You could maybe see where they might be drawing on various inspirations for the character, like... He's in a hospital, hospital wing. There was a bit of time where Eddie Brock had cancer in the comics. Maybe that has something to do with it. He seems to be involved in some kind of government agency. For a long time, he was a Venom was like a secret agent. Like You could maybe see that stuff, but there's not much there. You're really reaching for any conclusions you might draw about what actually this movie is about. Yeah, and the important thing to note with this trailer as well is they wrapped filming three days before the trailer dropped. Yeah. So obviously there's some post-production stuff that's not in there, but I've been saying this on this podcast since we started talking about the Venom movie. This movie has a production timeline of less than a year. The script, yeah. I believe, was written in like six weeks. Yeah, and that could be... That That doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Like, I think... Um, With a movie that's as heavy on post-production stuff and CGI, maybe, yeah. I think that's a big um, But like the first, the first Iron Man started filming without a script, right? So like... Magic can happen. I don't think it's going to happen here, but like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that something that seems as rushed could be great. But nothing I've seen so far it makes me think it's going to be. Yeah, for for every Iron Man, there's half a dozen Twilights. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Um, and p- maybe part of that is that you know I I don't hate Venom. I'm a big Spider Man fan, but Venom is not my favorite character. And like, there's a weird fixation for some Spider Man fans to be like of a certain age to be super into Venom. And that's just not, he's not the first character that I'd make a movie about if I had my brothers, you know what I mean? So maybe, maybe it's some of that. I don't know. I don't have high hopes for this whatsoever. <laughs> and there, there, are, there is some speculation that Marvel might have a secret hand in this, but I don't think Kevin Feige would touch this movie with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. I've, I've read that like Sony is like, Oh yeah, this is the same universe as, spider-man homecoming and marvel who owns the universe that spider-man homecoming is in is like yeah i don't think so <laughs> yeah when they were doing the the spider-man homecoming uh press tour amy pascal kept saying oh yeah it's homecoming universe adjacent yeah which and doesn't make any sense it, yeah. it's, that means nothing and kevin feige just kind of kept looking over her like shut up <laughs> yeah i mean i guess if i guess you have to do what you can to get the butts in the seats right like you know if, if people think it's somewhat related to Avengers, somebody will go see it because, hey, what if that guy shows up in Avengers Five or something? I I have no high hopes for this movie. Yeah, I'm gonna not. I'm gonna go see it and hate watch it probably, or just get a good laugh out of it with how bad it's gonna do. It's coming out this October allegedly. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, maybe it's all just some scam to make <laughs> to you know make some money off of. Off of Disney. I don't know, like t- yeah, Disney or like tax benefits from filming like. <laughs> They filmed enough for a trailer. I'm they're, like, they're pulling up producers. They're, yeah, they're exactly. trying to yeah. bomb so bad that they make money. So moving on to another movie that may or may not bomb, uh, the Solo trailer. We finally got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was teased during the Super Bowl, and then we got the full trailer the next day. 
some very interesting things. Um, very good production values. Like yeah. That, they, they clearly put some effort into this It's trailer. very it strong. Really if that's reflective of the movie, it's going to be a good-looking movie, and that is not nothing. Um, I'm, I'm not... I'm sort of in the same boat with... As I went with Venom, like, I, I'm, I'm a young ish star wars fan i love han solo he's not the first character i'd make a movie about if i was gonna make a spinoff movie but it looks really good like donald glover as lando is like that's ideal cast okay come on like that you did it <laughs> yeah and there's some really interesting things like uh throughout a good portion of the trailer you see lando is actually flying the falcon yeah. mm-hmm. so maybe throughout the first half of the movie lando is still in possession of the yeah. falcon and then somewhere han wins it if you look at the posters, the Falcon does look a little bit different. But if you remember, the Falcon is a freighter ship. Mm-hmm. And so that piece that's on the front uh, is actually like a cargo hold. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that can be dislodged. So oh, interesting. Can, I didn't make so note of that. Speculation is that by the end of the movie, he's going to pop that out and you get the classic looking Falcon. Yeah. Because he's going to dump whatever drugs he's smuggling for Jabba. And that's where he's going to get the bounty on him. Right. Yeah, that's part. That's one of the things that I think doesn't make me not want to see a, a Han Solo movie, but makes me nervous to see a Han Solo movie because you know we're gonna get literally everything that he has said. Like I did this once, it's all gonna be in this movie. Made like, the Kessel Run in less than twelve parsecs. Won the Falcon. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I've been saying this is the plot hole trilogy, the the Star Wars stories anthologies or whatever you want to yeah. call them, because Rogue One's entire purpose was this is why there's a a death port in the Death Star. Right. And now this one's going to be, how does someone make a Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs? <laughs> and then if the next one is Obi-Wan, it's going to be, how does, why does uncle Owen hate Obi-Wan? Yeah. And I, I think it's going to be a buddy cop sort of thing. Like somehow, uh, Obi-Wan's like, going to take Owen. They have to up somehow. Yeah. And Owen's going to be like, Luke is never doing this. So, I mean, it, yeah, it could, it could very well be, maybe it's, maybe it'll be great. Like, I haven't been super hyped for it, but I am interested in seeing it. I think it could very easily become like reference scene, jumps to reference scene, jumps to set piece that is a big reference. And that I think would be would be bad, but I guess we'll see. The trailer is good. Yeah, and I guess the, the scene at the very end before you see the giant tentacles flying everywhere uh, where he's like, it's fine, everything's yeah, yeah. fine. I guess that's supposed to be a callback to when uh, they're on the, the prison deck trying to find lay and he's yeah, like everything's yeah. fine it's fine yeah. how are you <laughs> right I, I get i didn't catch that uh just because it's such an innocuous thing right yeah sure. the word the, saying the words it's fine isn't necessarily reference but it, it's 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 close enough that like a bunch of people are going to latch onto that and be like <laughs> you're making me dread seeing this movie sorry <laughs> <laughs> just just because i i do all the advanced screenings which is usually for like the hardcore fans yeah, but yeah i really yeah. just want to see it at, like the earliest possible moment when I went to see Power Rangers, there was uh, some guy sitting a few rows in front of us when Rita goes, make my monster grow. <laughs> like, she doesn't even say it in with, like, the same inflection. She's in, like, a, she says a loud it, yeah. whisper. Like, make my monster grow. And the guy goes, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I get it. She said it in the show, dude. There's no reason to get that excited. So now I'm That's just- the one time he went to the movies this year. And he, <laughs> he's just... It was the time of his life, and you're over here just crapping all over him. Yeah, <laughs> they said it's morphin' time. I didn't think they'd do it. He might be a listener. He's like, I was th- that was me. I can't believe that. I get to go to one movie a year. 
You chose wrong. <laughs> you chose Power Rangers. Uh, it was it was fine. Power Rangers was fine. See what I did there? Han Solo, it's fine. No. Uh, I didn't even try to do that. It just happened. Or did it? <laughs> well, it was, it was a reference. <laughs> nothing else. So the other trailer that we had drop, uh, not during the Super Bowl. This one actually came this past week. Uh, the Incredibles 2, which... Um, my typical co-host, Alex, is not a fan of this movie. He's actually very, uh, or the trailer, he's very upset that they're going with Mr. Mom and Dad can't apparently can't take care of the kids and is having trouble being a stay-at-home dad. I didn't really get that vibe. Uh, I, I saw more as like supporting husband, um, just trying to keep up with the modern times, because as far as we're aware, Mr. Incredible was the working dad. He, you right. know, he would nine to five, come home, have dinner, read the newspaper, go to bed. Right. So I would think that would be more insulting is, you know, dad has no time for the kids. Right. Well, I, I could see where he would uh, draw on that because very once once it becomes clear what at least the trailer depicts the movie to be about, which seems to be Elastigirl becomes a superhero, solo superhero. So Mr. Incredible has to be the dad and take care of the family. Many of those scenes you see him looking, if not if, if not explicitly, but subtly like very haggard like he's got five o'clock shadow he's kind of got bags under his eyes a couple scenes in the trailer make it seem like he's like at the end of his rope with parenting so i could see how that might be the thing that you take away from it i hope that it will be something a little more nuanced nuanced yeah less less about oh man dads don't take care of their kids and more like taking care of kids is exhausting which it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I have one right now, which the second one will be here any day. I mean, finding time to do anything is yeah. just almost impossible. So hopefully it's less of a gendered thing and more of like, oh, babies are little monsters. Which I, I still love the part where Jack-Jack is sitting on the couch having a great time. He gets a cookie. And then Mr. Incredible is just like, I can't keep feeding him cookies. Yeah, yeah. And then he hulks out and becomes that little monster and just yeah. starts beating up on him. I thought that was great. Because that's that's very literal symbolism right there. Yeah. I was a huge fan of the first one. I haven't seen it in years. The first one was great, and hopefully, even though it's been, it's it's always a little weird when it's they been come, about fifteen years. Yeah, when 20. I'm always a little skittish when something comes back after so long, which we see more and more these days. But um, I'm hoping. I think it's it's all the same team, right? It's Brad yeah, Brad Bird's back. Um, so obviously, they've got better computer animation, right, right. but they're still doing a really good job of keeping it in the same art it style. Looked, yeah, it looked well. very similar. The so. lighting engines and stuff just look a little bit better, yeah. but everything else looks great. So hopefully it, it retains the same sort of the sense of, you know, the same style as the first one. And mm-hmm. I think if it does, it will be mostly su- successful. Yeah, um, I think they're throwing a little bit of they're throwing a little bit of a misdirect because you've got Bob Odenkirk's character who seems to be financing Mrs. Incredible or yeah. Elastigirl's uh, rise back into popularity as like mm-hmm. the face of the new supers. Obviously, he's may- supposed to be making people think he's like Syndrome. He's going to be the guy who is financing this stuff but setting up their downfall. Sure. I think he might be a guy who actually wants to do this, but he might have a financier or someone else. Sure, sure, sure. Behind the curtains, behind him, who is pulling his strings unknowingly. So I, I don't know exactly, but the only thing that really disappointed me about this trailer is that it did confirm that it, or it seems to have confirmed that we are not getting a time jump. Yeah. Because I I thought they were trying to give us a little bit of a misdirect here as well, because Brad Bird kept saying, we're going to pick up right at the Underminer fight at the end of the first one. So I thought they were going to do Underminer, 
opening credits 15 years later. Sure. While I'm a little disappointed in that, as long as the story is good, I don't care. Yeah, right, right. I'm not like these Star Wars people that got really invested in a theory, and now the movie's going to suck because it right. didn't do my theory. Well, and, and the thing about that bit, too, is with the way that movie ends, with the Underminers showing up and you know they suit up, you don't necessarily need to see what happens next. Like You have an idea of what happens next. You could just as easily jump the movie 10, 20, 30 years later. It doesn't matter how that scene plays out. You know unless, they're going to win. Yeah, unless... You know, maybe they'll do something interesting with it, but it's that is like the probably not the most interesting thing they can do in that movie. Um, so I could see that, yeah, th- some trepidation there would be. I think it's going to be a big action sequence to open it, so yeah. they can be a little more plateaued for a yeah. while. So, I, which is kind of how the first one was, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Incredibles 2 comes out this June, I believe, June 15th, which uh, that sounds right. Deadpool was actually, I believe, supposed to come out the week before or the week after, but because that got bumped up to May 21st, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Incredibles is going to have a good window between that and Ant-Man and the Wasp to make some good money. Yeah, I think Jurassic World comes out the week after that, but I don't think Jurassic World is going to be able to have the success that the first Jurassic World had. No. Yeah, I think, I think a huge part of the Jurassic World's success was just the nostalgia factor. Um, and I, you know, dress girl was okay, but yeah, I think they, it, they did debut a new trailer, um, during the Super Bowl that I don't have on my notes that I do want to talk about a little quick. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. If they play up that intense, like almost scary vibe with that, like mini Indominus Rex or whatever that yeah. thing is, um, I think it, it could be really interesting, but I don't know how much rewatch value it would have right. because if it's too scary, parents are going to take their kids to go see it again. Yeah. So they've got to toe that line, but. It's it's really interesting that apparently they have a mini Indominus or something. Well, that's, that was an interesting thing in that trailer where I saw the first trailer. And that's the one that they've been showing in theaters, and it's all right. I mean, it's whatever. You got um, Jeff Goldblum, Black, Goldblum back, and that's cute. Whatever. But and he says life finds a way. Yeah. Oh my god! Um, but it's now that that second trailer. It seems like maybe that's just like maybe that's the first act. Maybe that's the first half of the movie. They go to the island and they. They bring some back, and then it's like a King Kong situation or something where, like, I guess sort of like Jurassic Park 2. Um, yeah, but maybe done a little more intense and not as goofy. Yeah, where, like, then, yeah, there's, like, dinosaurs in the world, and there's, like, a super cool, tiny new one that they have to deal with or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like it's just some kind of mini Indominus. I know they allude to it being another hybrid of some kind, yeah. but it looks like it's an Indominus. They just, like, compacted it because yeah. it can fit in a room. Without yeah. apparently breaking through anything, so mm-hmm. so that's that's interesting because you you know you that first trailer makes it seem like this movie is they're going back and they're yeah, gonna it's an have an adventure process. yeah but it seems like that might be just a, a part of the movie which would be interesting to see what happens after that yeah and they have that subplot with Chris Pratt trying to rescue Blue as that well that seems that that line makes me laugh for literally every time. Like he's still alive. Like, all right, it's like a, it's a dinosaur. Like, but I don't know. We see that he has raised blue from birth. I don't know. Didn't you see how tiny and cute that weird little CGI raptor was? It just seems. It just makes me laugh every time when she's like, "Blue, this character that you were, that everyone's very invested in, is still alive. Let's go get him." And it's like, okay. I mean, I guess if it was like your dog or something, maybe I could see like, oh, you have an attachment, but. It's a raptor. Yeah. It's, its loyalties are 
can I eat you? Yeah, and also like I don't know. I when the first time they said that, the first time I watched that trailer, I was like, who? Who are you talking about? <laughs> and honestly, when they show Tiny Blue in the trailer, I did not realize in the first movie that Blue has like an actual blue stripe. Yeah, yeah. And then I looked for it when they showed Big Blue, and like, yeah, you can see it. And I'm just, I just thought I thought it was like alpha beta you know and the blue was just some kind of nickname for beta yeah you know uh but no apparently the name is blue it just seems very funny to me that she convinced him to go back because oh your pet your pet's still there <laughs> he might he might not eat you alive yeah she i think it's a she, she yeah technically they're all supposed to be she right that's right which i mean they could have made them all boys too yeah but whatever what are the boy dinosaurs going to get there to do is what I want to know. <laughs> it's called history for a reason. <laughs> Prehistoric creatures. <laughs> so speaking of representation, let's get into our, our main discussion here. Um, Black Panther. So we are going to do really brief non-spoiler discussion, which is basically going to be this movie's awesome, I assume, from both of us. And then we're going to get into spoilers and I'll timestamp that as well. So you don't, if you haven't seen the movie, you can just get our initial reactions and move on with your life. Matt, tell us about Black Panther. Non-spoilers. Yeah, it's, I I guess the only way that I can start is it's very good. (laughs) Just all killer cast, beautiful art direction. Just, yeah, all I can think of right now is just generic. So let me, (laughs) let me toss it back to you and maybe I can bounce off something you have to say. Uh, Yeah, like you said, the... The art direction is amazing. The The colors pop. I read one review that said this is a love letter to African culture, which it, it completely is. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, they do a great job with the source material. They also do a really good job of steering away from some of the more racially insensitive stuff, like M'Baku, the man-ape. Yeah, uh, they, I like, love reference, that they reference him a little bit, but like... They call him a gorilla instead. Yeah, This I mean, is not spoilers, like, by the way. Either, either way, like the, the comparison to like a big tough black guy to like any kind of primate is like a little sketchy. So yeah. like you, you have to kind of tread carefully and they, and they, they, they do thread it, that needle pretty well. Yeah. Cause they, they use it as a term of endearment. They call him the great gorilla because he's the, the leader of this tribe. Yeah. And they only, I think they only reference him as that just the one, just the time. one time. Yeah. But it's sort of like, yeah, he's, he's whatever T'Challa's tribe is, is the Panther. They're the gorilla. Yeah. And then everyone has like their own representative animal. Uh, the the performances are great. The set pieces are great. The direction is great. It's fantastic. I the story the actual story is relatively above average. Like I don't think it's treading new ground, but because of the way they go about it, sure. it is. And this is not just like some generic superhero movie. It's a superhero movie that has something to say. Yeah, and what they say is amazing. Yeah, well, and yeah. it's super important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just the. the I guess the um, the thing that struck me, and I, I saw, I've seen it a couple times now, was I, I sort of had a vision in my head of like what I imagined Wakanda, like not not the the country, like the city or whatever they call the it, capital in the capital city. In the comics, they call it like the Golden City or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but they don't really name it here. But you know what what it what you think of when you think of oh this big futuristic city, and like the city in the movie is not that, but it is very much like what would it look like if we there was a country in Africa that was free of you know colonialism and allowed to sort of grow 
in its own direction, un- like unfettered from other influences. And in that way, it is. It looks. It still looks like a great futuristic, futuristic city. Excuse me. It's just not what I was imagining in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like this great little, even down to the costuming. Like everything is like, what if, you know, X from, you know, th- like ancient African tribes, but today allowed to you know sort of evolve in a way that was unfettered, which is you know they there's. That's why the term Afrofuturism exists, but you know it's it's very much a strong piece of that kind of sort of speculative fiction, science fiction. Yeah, and they they did a great job with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I believe Ryan Minerding had some input on how it is. He's the head of um, concepts for Marvel. He's the guy who designed the Black Panther costume, the Captain America costumes, mm-hmm. the Iron Man costume. Yeah, he, he does amazing artwork too. If you haven't seen his work, like look him up. He's amazing. But yeah, he the the design that he and Ryan Coogler and everyone involved came up with for Wakanda is awesome. So we can get into more in-depth discussion. I think we're going to end the non-spoilers here. Again, I'll put a timestamp. If you don't want to listen to the spoilers, thanks for listening this week. Don't forget to email, Facebook us, YouTube us, whatever, Twitter at us. Um, if you do want to get Matt's Twitter stuff, we'll do that at the end. So again, we can do a timestamp. Moving into spoilers. I don't even know where to begin with this movie. So it, it takes place immediately, like a week after uh, the events of Civil War, I, yeah. from what I understand. Which is, uh, was sort of a surprise to me. Not a huge surprise, just because it seems to be that generally, at least in terms of like what little cues and clues there are, all the movies sort of take place roughly... A year it, or so. In the, in the distance, the same kind of distance from when they were released. Yeah. So like Avengers 2 is like two or three years after Avengers. Unless there's some other spe- specificity like there is here, you know, this movie takes place however many months it was between the release of that movie and the release of this movie. Yeah. And I should mention that there is actually a prologue first. We could see King T'Chaka back in the 1990s, I believe. Yeah, 92. Um, meet up with his brother, Prince uh, oh, I can't and, remember and his Boku name. or something yeah, that like sounds that. Yeah, right. that sounds right. Uh, played by the wonderful Sterling K. Brown. Uh, if you don't watch This Is Us, you need to watch it just for him. He's he was in Grey's Anatomy for a while, too, I think. Was he? I think so. Yeah. Or maybe not. He's Maybe that's another guy. He's done some other things. That's though. another guy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Cut this out. <laughs> nope. Staying in. <laughs> I'm the editor. I make these decisions. Uh, but he, yeah, he's he's fantastic in This Is Us. Uh, it's a great cast all around, but he's winning all sorts of awards. There's a really great tweet out there when he won uh, his SAG award. Someone tweeted out, Sterling K. Brown's winning so many awards, Chadwick Boseman's going to have to play him in a movie. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, it, it's true. Uh, he's just, he's such a good emotional actor. Yeah. And in this opening prologue where he, he's, front, he's a Wakandan who has been sent on this spy mission to kind of see what the world is doing. And he gets sucked into kind of like the turf wars in California. And he thinks that Wakanda's intervention would help the the plight of the black man in the United States and across the world, but T'Chaka does not believe in this because Wakanda has never interfered with the outside world. They've remained inward because that's what allowed them to flourish. This whole story kind of becomes the sins of the father come to impact the the next generation. Essentially, yeah. the Michael B. Jordan's character is the son of Sterling K. Brown's character. Michael B. Jordan is an amazing villain yeah, in this movie yeah. too. He's one of he is probably one of the best that the cinematic universe has had, which still is not terribly high bar, 
the that's but, why I it's mean, been... if if you can get up there with Loki though, that's <laughs> yeah. that's saying something yeah. even with the low bar that Marvel has. Yeah. And it's it's such an interesting character just because like and the same thing was true of Spider-Man Homecoming with the Vulture where he he's right like like what like the things that are motivating him like the the ideology that is like pushing him to do what he's doing is like he's not wrong he's 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 basically right because his whole thing is um you know and the, Wakanda is this crazy powerful like very rich country in Africa which has also done nothing to um, help any number of injustices put upon Africans, black people, whatever, throughout all of history. Yeah, they've turned a blind eye to pretty much everything. Apartheid, slavery, all yeah. of that. Um, yeah, and they, they call out of, yeah, uh, police brutality, dr- uh, drugs, things like that. Like It's interesting because the primary love interest in the movie... Uh, Nakia is saying the same thing. She's just not advocating starting an empire over it. She's saying, we can help. And he's like, and Killmonger is saying the same thing. Just in a different way. In a yeah, way, yeah, way. yeah. His, yeah, her end game is like, we should, we should help. We should help people. We, we should, should, you know, we should share our resources and information. And he's like, oh, we should overthrow governments and like kill people. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, he, he's a super fleshed out villain. I, I don't think he has more than maybe 20 minutes of screen time. Uh, yeah. I think the only thing I really did not like about uh, Michael B. Jordan's character, I feel weird calling him Killmonger. Like, I yeah. Just, well, it's weird because like they, at first they bring it up and they're like, they, they say call it's his nickname because his yeah, name they, is Eric Stevens. Yeah. And then they, yeah, they call him Killmonger because he kills so many people. But then from then everyone just calls him Killmonger. And in the yeah. credits, he's called Eric Killmonger, which mm-hmm. is just very, it just seems like, yeah, it seems like, a oh, that's a cute reference to the character he's based on. But then after that, everyone's like, what's up, Killmonger? What are you doing? Yeah, and it just it feels really weird. Because again, like you're saying, he is relatively justified in what he wants to do. Yeah. It's just what he wants to do is genocide. Well, yeah, and the thing, the, thing, the thing is that's so interesting, he is at once also this like victim of, but also product of, like American imperialism and colonialism. Like, like they, they call it out specifically where he like... Because the, in the backstory of the character, he he goes into the CIA, becomes like a not the CIA. He goes into like special like forces. Services. Yeah, he's yeah. Like an MIT graduate. He's like really he's like smart. a super yeah super crazy badass like soldier guy. And, and he's, he's trained to infiltrate and destroy governments. Yeah, which is like something that you know the United States has done in history, <laughs> like actual history. So like there's like this um, interesting little like nugget of he also is like a product of some of the worst stuff that this country does um it doesn't quite get to like a condemnation maybe it should but it is like also that's just an interesting nugget that's there as well where you know this the the world that he was like steeped in that he was abandoned in and like forced to survive in also is informing this sort of like genocidal tendency so like it's it's just so interesting of like how much you know he's a villain so he's like he's the bad guy but also he's very much like a victim who has some strong, I largely correct ideology behind him. Yeah, and uh, we didn't mention this. Um, so Michael B. Jordan's character, Eric Stevens, Eric Killmonger Stevens, is the son of Sterling K. Brown's character, who is the prince of Wakanda behind King T'Chaka. And T'Chaka kills Sterling K. Brown's character because of his ideals. Yeah, the and whole story, he, backstory is like he he betrayed 
he sees the the injustice, the the police brutality, the drugs, the gangs, all this stuff, and is upset and decides he's going to help get some vibranium, the all powerful thing from Wakanda, out to people, and then, to help them, to arm them against oppressors, oppression, and yeah. Uh, T'Chaka had sent his own spy to spy on. Uh, Sterling K. Brown, um, which I, again I, I think his name was like Mboku. Uh, no, Mboku was the. Um, oh, he's the guy with the disc. Mboku, I thought was um, the Jabrani guy, the gorilla, right? Mbaku, yes, you're yes. right. Yes, uh, he's I believe he's Zuri, Z U R I. I think. I don't know. I can't remember. I I'll, I'll have to we look it up or something. Two very white men <laughs> trying to remember a number of. Very uh, African names. African names. But which... anyway, so T'Chaka has his spy, which ends up being Forrest Whitaker's younger self. And uh, Sterling K. Brown goes to kill him, but T'Chaka stops and murders uh, Sterling K. Brown before he can fire his gun. And that basically orphans Michael B. Jordan, and they yeah. choose to leave him there. Yeah. So that's where the sins of the father come in. Is instead yeah. of taking Michael B. Jordan home... And to give his father a proper burial and to raise him in the Wakandan uh, surroundings, they just left him there to kind of fend for himself. And that's where he has this vendetta against uh, against <clears throat> Wakanda. Yeah. So and yeah. So wrap, I'll wrap up in him is like so much stuff about you know isolationism, uh, imperialism, colonialism. Like basically nobody, no nobody that could claim Killmonger is correct like what like he's he's a wakandan by birth they're awful in the way you know they they abandon this kid after they murder his father he's american by where he lives he also is a product of the worst of what we do he's just like so failed in every way and it like makes perfect sense that he becomes this like creature this not creature this monster that like is set on you know overthrowing a government so he can overthrow all the governments so sterling k brown's character was Njobu. Njobu. zuri was forrest whitaker's character yeah well it's interesting because the first time i saw it i did you know i was very surprised like oh forrest whitaker he was there because when they reveal it halfway through the movie that that was his character but like they call him zuri like he's like hey what's up zuri like yeah. in the first scene so it's like oh and then uh, <laughs> i should have noticed that they did some amazing casting too because the the kid they cast whose last name is whitaker as well um but no relation to forrest um he's got the kind of lazy eye thing going yeah, on yeah, too yeah. and so like they give you a lot of visual and yeah. audible clues but you're just so drawn into the tension between the brothers that yeah you don't even think about it uh so that's that's kind of the setup for where we're going um Again, the movie takes place like a week after they're getting ready to crown T'Challa king. So he, the movie opens with that action sequence where we see him falling from the the panther jet or whatever yeah, you want to yeah. call it. And uh, he ends up saving Lupita Nyong'o's character, Nakia. <clears throat> and um, he's that's the love interest. Yeah. It? And he's like, I want you to be there when I become king. Uh, they have this amazing ceremony where... Um, tribes are able to challenge for the throne if they want mm -hmm. to uh which that scene is amazing when t'challa shows up and you just see all this color and the yep. sunset and it's it's fantastic yeah just beautiful costuming everything about that sequence is like um it's so good it, like another director like a non someone who is not a black director would have like screwed it up 
Probably. Big time. But someone who like has some, like someone like Ryan Coogler, who like I'm sure feels a very deep appreciation for that kind of um, like history and culture. And you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people involved doing their research because you know it's not like he's making all the costumes, but does it very well. Like, like I said before, it feels less like oh, this is just a bunch of like African stereotypes, and more like this is what that culture looks like if it's allowed to evolve. Yeah, and what makes it great is you get to have so many different styles in that moment because you have all the different tribes. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. have one tribe that is leaning more towards the dresses and the like, almost Roman kind of design yeah. where like even the men are wearing them. Uh, and then you have others that are like almost more business. Like you've got the guy with the disc in his mouth yeah. who's wearing like a three button suit. Yeah. Which is uh, he's a breakout character of the year. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> that moment uh, was really cool because that's when we also first get to meet in Baku, the, mm. uh, the leader of the, the gorilla tribe or whatever you want to call them. I forget what they, call I think them. they are called the Jabrani. That sounds right. That sounds right. They're, again, uh, they don't, they don't call them the gorilla up. tribe because obviously that's a little insensitive. Yeah. If you take it at face value, so they probably went with more a more African. Or- Which I, I think I think that is that is also from some of the comics too. I think they reference that as that tribe by name. So I, okay. I think there might be a pull there too. Yeah, you're more versed in the Black Panther comics than I am. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you on for this What's episode. Uh, yeah, and I, I might be wrong about that, but I've only there's only a couple of the you know more known runs of Black Panther that I've read, and I, th- I feel like that is from there. Yeah, but the the story beats actually are pretty close to the Black Panther storyline from Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, where sure. Um, although in in Earth's Mightiest Heroes, T'Chaka loses the crown and Mbaku takes over, where in this case, T'Challa is king for like a week. Yeah. And then Killmonger comes in, uh, takes the crown, and then Killmonger is in power for like two or three days, and then T'Challa yeah. completes uh, his coup. Uh, Which I think might be, I believe that that might be drawing, and I'm sure it's probably happened more than once in the books, because n- nothing is new in comics, but um, I, f- I might be very wrong about this, so forgive me if I am, but I think that no. comes from... <laughs> the uh, the Christopher Priest run on Black Panther, which is like one of the big ones that besides that everyone knows. Um, that I think there's a period there where I I want to say it's Killmonger. It might it might actually be Mbaku instead who takes over. So that, I mean there is a lot of stuff in this movie that like you that kind of like like all the Marvel movies isn't like a direct adaptation but draws inspiration from. Mm-hmm various source yeah. materials. Well, I, I know Earth's Mightiest Heroes was relatively accurate to the comics, yeah. mm-hmm. so it wouldn't surprise me if it was M'Baku. We're also introduced to Wakabi, who is played by... Um, uh, oh, what's his name from... Oh, I can't remember. From, Daniel from Kaluuya. Kaluuya uh, from Get Out. Yeah. Um, I will get into this a little bit more, but Wakabi is a, a very well-done character, but he, he has some moments that... I, I don't really care for just because I feel like it's a little rushed and pushed. Some of his motivations are more informed than they are depicted. Yeah. So, so what really kicks the story off is they get a hit that Andy circus, uh, Ulysses claw character is out and about selling vibranium to people. T'Challa goes on this mission to capture him. Uh, the reason he's such a of high interest is if you remember in Avengers Infinity War, he has a giant surplus of uh, of vibranium that I guess he stole with Njobu. Yeah, I think the implication is that I guess 
I guess Age of Ultron didn't give me that impression that it was he'd just been sitting on it for forever. But I guess according to this, he must have he, been. He must or have he, been. He was unloading little bits at a time. Yeah. So um, Andy Circus and uh, his character Ulysses Claw stole a bunch of vibranium sometime in the '90s, and he's just been kind of sitting on this, slowly distributing it. And he's going to sell it in some somewhere in North or South Korea. I think it was South Korea. Well, the one that they're selling at South Korea, I think the one that they're selling, I believe. In the movie itself is the bit that they because they ste- that we're introduced to Michael B. Jordan's character when he oh yeah he steals um, the the he axe. steals a, an axe that has has a vibranium um, head head uh, blade whatever yeah um, from a museum and I th- I believe if I'm not mistaken they're selling that one specifically yeah I think the idea is You're that right. they're trying to draw out Wakanda or the Black mm-hmm. Panther or something because they say they because the whole the whole plot with um, Everett Ross and yeah, with the and yeah, CIA. like kill like Killmonger's um, Killmonger and Claw's whole deal is they're they're doing this job and they're going to split the profit. So I think it's we don't ever actually see it, but I think it's supposed to be the head of that. Mm, axe. Yeah, yeah, I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure you're right. Um, so T'Challa, um, Nakia, Lupita Nyong'o, and Okoye. I forget her actor. The actress. It's, uh, oh. I have the IMDb page. She's up. um she is she's on The Walking Dead, and I knew uh, it literally ten minutes before walking in the door. Here. Danny Guerrero, yeah, Guerrero. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, Michonne on The Walking Dead, which oh okay. I actually didn't recognize her until. Well, yeah, she um, doesn't have six foot long dreads. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it was that or if she just you know was doing such a different character that it wasn't until I recognized her name in the credits that I was like, oh, that that's who that was. All okay. Right. Well, that's pretty cool. I yeah. don't watch The Walking Dead anymore, but yeah, know, Michonne's yeah. always such a been a she's been a fantastic character in the comics. Yeah, for, and she's and um she's very good on the show. You know, she's one of the things, one of the few things about that show. And I haven't watched it in a couple seasons either, but she's one of the few things in that show that is pretty solid. Good, Danny Guerrero. She she plays Okoye, who is the head of the Dora Milaje, and uh, uh, Wakanda is going on this secret mission to try and bring in claw to pay for his crimes for killing uh wakabi's father and stealing all that vibranium well yeah and i think it's i think it's that and i think part of it i think they mention it because i think where all that vibranium goes in age of ultron is ultron takes it right yeah and then like every everything that he's able to do he's able to do because of the vibranium so like i guess in theory they're also going after him as an accessory to blowing up a f- the flying city or whatever yeah sokovia um, they're going after this, and the the plan gets complicated because they run into Everett Ross, who you will remember from Civil War. He's played by Bilbo Baggins, <laughs> and uh, so the plan gets a little more complicated because Everett Ross is trying to make this buy for vibranium for the U.S. government while also implicating Claw. Uh, T'Challa says, "You know, you can do the buy, but as soon as Claw is able to be got, I'm getting him." Yeah, and so this whole team up but not really kind of thing happens and uh, a shootout ends up happening. Claw gets captured and then he gets really uh, rescued by Killmonger. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where I have my, my problem with Wakabi because what happens is Michael B. Jordan's character ends up killing Claw and taking him to Wakanda is kind of like a chip to get him in. Yeah. And Wakabi who again has a vendetta against Claw had previously thrown some shade at T'Challa for not bringing in Claw. Yeah, which, I think we're supposed to we're supposed to understand that um, he says as much in, in one scene that so basically 
the idea is that when when they did their big heist, but there was an explosion. He blew up something at the border, and a, a, a bunch of people were killed, including apparently Wakabi's parents. So his whole thing is he says to T'Challa, "Is like get this guy or like kill him," and he's like, "I promise I will." And then he gets away. So when he comes back, Wakabi's like, "What's up? Where where is he? I'm gonna." I want to kill him or I want yeah, to see his dead yeah. body. Yeah. So then he's like, whoops, he got away. So then you get the idea that I think the idea is supposed to be that, oh, he's like, he's pissed because his, his friend promised him and he didn't deliver. Yeah. And Michael B. Jordan shows up with this body and he's like, well, he gets shit done. A duffel bag. And he's also got a claim to the throne. He's like, all right, you're, you know, the last king didn't do anything forever. And this king is not shaping to be much better. So let's go with the new guy. But see, I, I feel like the moment where he that Wakabi has with T'Challa is it doesn't play right only because he he says your father did nothing and you're ju- doing you're you're no better yeah it's something to that effect and it's like yeah. he literally went out to go do it and T'Challa could have told him the whole thing saying hey we had him yeah we were getting ready to bring him and then someone broke him out like he literally he didn't slip through our fingers we had him yeah and someone like blew up a wall yeah well his whole their whole thing I think is it's a little informed like I said because I think we're supposed to get the idea that they're like old friends like best friends and that this is sort of like a crumbling of their relationship, but it's not. It's mostly told as opposed to shown. We get a, we get like a scene of them kind of hanging out. We get, you know, but then everything else is mostly told to us rather than shown to us. Yeah, and, and, but again, I think T'Challa doesn't have to go into the whole detail. But if he said because Wakabi said that line, like your dad did nothing, and now you're doing nothing. That line bothered me because he literally went on a covert ops mission to right. try and get him. So that well, part bugged me. If it had just been like he got like you just saw the look on his face change, I think that would have been more powerful than calling him out for saying he's doing nothing. Sure, and I, I think it's a problem that extends throughout the whole movie with that character, just because like there are. Well, I'm sure we'll get there. It sounds like, but there are points at which he is doing stuff, and you're like, why? Why are you doing this right now? like his sort of at the end when he has like the choice to make and he's like this is the choice i'm making you're like wait but everything everything that we know now why are you doing that like i can see how you would have gotten to this point but at this juncture why are you taking this path instead of that path yeah and and that's again i think that's probably the biggest weak link in this movie yeah but it's not that weak of a link oh yeah it doesn't break the chain well yeah i mean it's um god i can't remember the guy's name now again it's an, it's another great performance and like he was like the one guy that i because you know there was so much hay made about this cast in the lead up that literally i was like okay everyone in this movie is great and every actor in this movie is excellent and he was like the one guy that i did not know was in this movie he's also excellent get out was like one of the best movies of last year but i was like oh that guy he's great yeah. daniel kaluuya yes thank you <clears throat> so one person we're completely spacing over right now uh is shuri oh yes we need yeah. to talk about shuri yeah this is someone that every girl can look up to it's not just black girls although black girls definitely should look up to her um she is a fantastic fun adorable awesome badass character like yeah she's, she's great she's the breakout character of the movie i think yeah she was she's fantastic uh and i mean i say adorable in like the best way possible i don't mean in any demeaning way um, but like the the rapport that she and Chadwick Boseman have together is awesome. She also has really great moments with Okoye and mm-hmm. Nakia, 
And then, I mean, we can't also can't forget about Angela Bassett as yeah. uh, T'Challa's mom. Um, Romanda was yep. her name. I mean, there's so many great performances. Uh, I think the weakest performance for me was Andy Serkis's Claw. Yeah. His know, performance was really weird and off-kilter, which I think was intentional. Yeah, he's like just like a weird, over-the-top dude, which which follows from Avengers, but from Age of Ultron and the brief that we got of him. He was he was weird, but he wasn't like bouncing off the walls, yeah. like high on laughing gas kind of weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is it is a bit of a weird performance, but and that's and I feel like that's most maybe not mostly, but at least partially an inherited concern. Because it's like, okay, well, you know, Claw is is traditionally a very like central Black Panther villain, but also he was a he was a character that was like in a previous movie specifically designed to set up this movie yeah so you know i feel like with given how they work him in they do pretty well but he does feel like he's he's a little bit of a sore thumb Mm -hmm. yeah he he's there to basically close out the first act yeah then uh what happens between him and killmonger at the like south korean little airport is everything that sets up the end of the movie so yeah uh let's talk a little bit about shuri though sure yeah um there, there is a bit in the comic, uh, the Prelude comic, where she has already cured Bucky, and she basically just calls out Tony Stark for not being as smart as she is, right, which yeah. is fantastic. But yeah, she she creates the new Black Panther suit, which, seeing it in the trailers, I wasn't a big fan of. I thought it was maybe too lean in the mask. Okay. But as I watched the movie and I saw everything evolve, um, I don't know if they, they really changed the Black Panther suit, but it seems really bulky on Chadwick Boseman, yeah, uh, the original I, suit that we saw in Civil War. Yes, I, I rewatched that movie before I saw Black Panther, and I, I got the same impression. And visually, I don't think it's that different because it's you can only do so much when it's a, black a solid suit. black suit. But it, it does it does seem like it fits him a little better, and if that makes sense. Yeah, like, I, it, I, think that bulkiness. Th- I think the... Like, almost latex onesie it looks better because it, yeah. it shows off the form a little bit more but also because they're able to implement the the kinetic energy that it yeah. absorbs it adds color to it as well yeah but yeah so shuri designs these new costumes she has two new suits for him she has this great line about how uh just because something works doesn't mean you can't make it better which which it was only on the on the second viewing that i realized like that is like a thesis for the movie yes because like like so much of the whole thing is like Wakanda is is chugging along just fine, pretty much. Um, but obviously, as we talked about earlier, like there are there's a lot more that they could be doing too, like improve like the world. And that that struck me when I I caught my second viewing and I was trying to be a little more eagle eyed because I knew I was going to be sitting here and I was like, oh, that's like a very that's a weighted line that isn't just like a throwaway thing. Yeah, uh, and again, uh, Shuri just. She stole every scene she was in. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, she develops all the technology that the Black Panthers and the Dora Milaje use. Um, she's only, I think she's only supposed to be like nineteen in the movie, or yeah, maybe she's even younger. Like, yeah, very, she's like a yeah late, like an old teenager. Um, and I, I want to say it's was it Letitia Wright? Is that who this who the actress is? Uh, you are correct. Yes, um, and she's. I, I looked her up after the movie, and she hasn't been in a ton of nothing like that. Anybody would really know like yeah she's in black mirror but that's yeah she's like an episode of black mirror um but she's just she's on fire like the whole movie she's like this um you know this she's a spark yeah she's like this quirky fun she's like she's very obviously like a very intelligent character but she's also having a ton of fun doing what she's doing she's very excited and energetic about i'm just gonna build 
weird shoes that don't make any sound and stuff like that. She has this great moment in T'Challa's coronation where they ask if anyone is willing to challenge for the throne, and she raises her hand. Yeah. And everyone's just like, what? Yeah. And then she just goes, can we get this over with, please? This corset's yeah, really tight. I'm bored, yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, and it's interesting just because, like, I already, I, Chadwick Boseman is great. He's a great actor. I want to see him in a ton of Black Panther movies, but I already want to see them do the story where, where, sure takes where she's the queen and she's the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I hope that's where they're going with it. If uh, Chadwick Boseman's only on for five or six yeah. movies, I yeah. mean, she could easily take over. Um, I mean, obviously she's not bulky enough, but um, well, I guess that's one plot hole that they have. Um, one of the things we can get into now, since again, we're in spoilers and we're kind of going all over the place, just talking about whatever our, the reviews we've done for this have been, never been very organized. So I apologize for anyone having issues following this. You should watch feel, the movie and not let us tell you it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if we're more helter skelter, it, it helps people who haven't seen the movie that are still listening to this. They still get to go in pretty fresh. Cause like sure. they mentioned this, but where's there it is. Okay. Right, right. So, I mean, I don't mind being a little helter skelter, but at the same time, anyone looking for structure is probably going a little crazy. <laughs> now I forgot where I was going. <laughs> what did uh, I say? You were mentioning, you mentioned the bulkiness of the, Oh um, yeah. So, one of the things Michael B. Jordan's character does is he gets rid of the herb that gives the Black Panther his enhanced strength. Sure. So if Shuri was ever to take over as the Black Panther, as far as we know right now, she would not be able to take that herb to get that enhanced strength. Yeah. So that creates a small problem because you can easily just say, oh, she's tiny, but she took the herb and now she has Super superhuman strength, yeah. strength and endurance. Well, I, I was honestly a little bit... Um surprised not not surprised i guess like pleased because like a lot of a lot of the the black panther stuff is um sort of mystic in the sense that like when because there's a there's a bit um in the beginning where i think it's implied to be sterling brown talking to his son when they're sort of setting up Wakanda and like, here's the exposition you need. I'm telling him it has a story. Oh yeah. And the, the sand, hollow yeah. sand or whatever, and they which do the, the hollow sand was super cool. Yeah, it was very cool. And they do the bit where like, Oh, the first black Panther, he, he, uh, you know, communed with the Panther God, which like in the context of the movie is sort of like, Oh, he's telling us these are legends of the people. But like in the context of like the black Panther comic books, that's a real ass God. Like that's yeah. a real Panther God. Um, so I was a little surprised that they did that because in Civil War I was just like, oh, it's probably just like he's just got a super suit or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, so I was a little bit um, surprised that they were like, okay, we're going all in on this stuff. This is the Wakandan super soldier serum. Yeah, exactly. So I could, so I, I guess all that is to say that I could see them if they, if they ever got that far, if they didn't just say, oh, there was a crop somewhere else that we had, that they would, that they could just say, oh, well, her suit is like a little better iron man suit it gives her strength it gives her speed it gives her everything she needs mm-hmm. which i mean you could easily just say yeah it's wakanda technology yeah exactly yeah. exactly so yeah i mean i would i would love to see that the actress is young enough in it let's see here i'm pulling up her imdb page yeah she's 24 yeah i mean she's not really hitting her prime for another six years which i mean at that point we might already have a black panther sequel plus two more avengers movies yeah so well i think yeah it's, it's interesting because like that that is the age that Ryan Coogler is, he's 30 mm-hmm. or 31, maybe. So, I mean, yeah, that's 31. That, that just reminded me that it is wild that, like, this is this dude's like third movie and he's like 
on Rotten Tomatoes, he's three for three. Yeah, he's, he's just uh, like he's every movie it. is like ninety two percent or better. Yeah, I haven't seen Fruitvale Station, which is supposed to be very good. Um, also starring Michael B. Jordan. Um, but Creed, I watched last year, and I'm not a big fan. I was never a big fan of the Rocky movies, but that movie. The movie's away. fantastic. Yeah. I watched it for the first time earlier this year just because I wanted to get ready for Black Panther. And I was just like, why have I not seen this sooner? Yeah. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. And it's, it's why he gets, he gets so much good stuff out of Michael B. Jordan. Oh, yeah. Uh, Michael, go, go ahead. ahead. I was, I was going to say, I mean, Michael B. Jordan's always been good going back, going as far back as The Wire when he was like maybe 12. He's never been better than when he's with Coogler. I mean, he was really good in Chronicle, which is my first real exposure to him. I never bothered watching Fantastic Four Stick, but Marvel continues to redeem former human torches. Yeah, right. Well, honestly, like when like, that was the thing, I I haven't watched that movie either. That was the thing that almost made me watch it is because oh, Michael B. Jordan is great. I want to see him be great in these movies, and this is before obviously Black Panther was a twinkle in our eye, but. I, that was the one, he was the guy that almost got me to pay money to see that movie. It wasn't too long after Fantastic Four reboot bombed that Marvel's like Michael B. Jordan's going to be the black, the bad guy in Black Panther. Yeah, like it was it was like Fox has just said cancel the sequel, and then yeah. Marvel literally just said, "Hey, come on over here." Even though, like, I think up until even after that, they were Fox was like, "Yeah, we're going to make a sequel, <laughs> definitely." <laughs> we we'll see how rights. Deadpool does, <laughs> right? Um, One of those things, like they never actually cancel it; they just never get around to making it. <laughs> so, but yeah, Shuri, uh, we got a little yeah, off track. Yeah. Shuri, Shuri is fantastic. She steals just about every scene she's in. Um, Angela Bassett does a good job. She does solid for what she's given. She's not given a lot to do. Yeah, there's, and the, yeah, there's a there's a lot of people, and but it's it's crazy just how strong this cast is, and how many of them have like one or two scenes. Like Sterling Brown is in two scenes and he is like he is giving it his all in both like you get you you totally get what this dude's about in two short scenes and like Forrest Whitaker and Angela Bassett are both in similar positions where they're not they're not doing a ton in terms of like their screen time or like what they're actually asked to do but they are they're doing the hell out of it one guy I want to talk about if um uh, oh geez, I'm spacing. Letitia Wright isn't the breakout star. Winston Duke is. Uh, he's the guy who plays Mbaku. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, his credits on IMDb, not including Bla- uh, Black Panther, are Modern Family, Major Crimes, The Messenger, Person of Interest, and Law and Order. That's it. That's it. Wow, interesting. Yeah. And those are all. I'm guessing one off. I'm pretty sure they're victim all just or like, criminal of the week yeah. episodes. Yeah. So this guy shows up and he plays. I don't want to say a significant role, but it's it's a pretty important role. And again, yeah, it's, a, it's a very controversial role as well. Because again, he's playing the man ape from the comics. Yeah. And he has to toe that line of comic accuracy while also being respectful of within the role. And he he he's fantastic. I love this character. Yeah. Well, it's another thing where like I think I think uh, an act a director who maybe isn't as sensitive as those kinds of portrayals, like a white director, maybe like there's the scene at the very beginning when they all show up that whole tribe and they're like super decked out and they're like war paint and they're like doing the gorilla stuff. Another, like a, a non, a Zack Snyder or Michael Bay. Yeah. Like, or really like any, like even your most thoughtful 
Steven white director Spielberg. who like is just just not trained to think about those kinds of things that those scenes become like flat out racist i think mm-hmm. and but he but be they're really trying very hard to toe that line where you know yeah this is a this is a character who like was not created maliciously the man ape was not created to be like a racist caricature but you know the history of the way you know black people have been compared to primates for like savage primates for their entire existence makes it a fraught thing to interpret that character but they're doing it because it is an important character. And again, within Panther. the context of how Wakanda works with these tribes and how they have animal representation, yeah, it, it makes sense. But again, you are running that risk you're, of becoming racially insensitive. Yeah, you're towing you're towing a line, and I think the the script and the direction and the, the action kind of toes that line pretty well. Which I which I would expect from anyone who is aware of the sort of his, the loaded history of that kind of portrayal. Sticking with that coronation fight between Umbaku and T'Challa, when they whipped out those old panther and gorilla masks, yeah. I thought that was really cool that because I cool. feel like the history is immediately implied in that. Like That's the original Black Panther mask. That's yeah. the original uh, gorilla mask that the tribe leaders wore. And they looked fantastic. Yeah. And I love the representation of it. I love the symbolism of it. And it was just awesome. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mbaku says my favorite joke in the entire movie where they're um, Shuri and um, Angela Bassett's character, uh, Ramonda, are running for their lives from Killmonger. And so they, they go to M'Baku for, for help. And they also have Everett Ross with him because obviously a white man in Wakanda is probably not going to survive. Right. And uh, Everett Ross keeps interjecting, like, we, we need your help. you got to help us. And he just goes, one more word out of you, and I'm going to feed you to my children. <laughs> and then you just see him take its big gulp. And he just, M'Baku starts laughing. He's like, we're vegetarians. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. I love that line. That was great. Uh, there's a bit in that first fight, though, that I think, um, again, on my second viewing, I, I noted a little more. like Because so much, we talked a lot about um, where Killmonger's at in this whole thing. But like we're also... We haven't quite gotten yet to sort of T'Challa and his whole thing. Yeah. And I'll, you mentioned that a bit where a lot of it is um, Sins of the Father, which is a big part of his story, but it's also very much about he's trying to figure out like who he is, what kind of king he's going to be. He says at one point, or no, his, his the ghost of his father essentially says Yeah, I did want to talk about Necropolis um, really quick before we yeah, really dive into T'Challa. Um, yeah, there's, there's a point where he basically says to him, you know, it's hard for a good man to be king. So, like, I didn't quite get it the first time around. And I at first, it struck me as being really out of place. But on the second time, there's this bit where, like, he's getting, he's, like, losing the fight, the first fight and for the kingship. And, like, his mom, like, scre- is screaming at him, like, show him who you are. Um, and I that's, for, for whatever reason, the second time around, that struck me as, like, oh, that's another phrase that is, like, seems innocuous at first, but also is, like, extremely loaded because... That's that's his story in this movie. You mentioned the the fight, so I yeah no that's that. that's wonderful. I didn't even catch that. I've only seen it the once, unfortunately. Right. Um, I would love to see it again, but again, I don't think I'm going to have time with uh, baby number two yeah. coming any moment. You can um, take a baby to the movies <laughs> in like three days, right? Yeah, something like that. You know, take it into a German festive theater. <laughs> might be licensed the seat. Some people aren't going to sit in yeah. theater seats ever again. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, uh, so the one thing I did want to talk about, uh, which again, going back to the mysticism before we really start talking about T'Challa and that, the last fight of the movie, um, I was really surprised that they actually did Necropolis. I yeah. think it was glimpsed in the trailers, but it was like, it looks like he's just kind of walking. That'll probably get cut. Um, but they, they do a really cool job with it where uh, T'Challa, when he's being coordinated, they, t- they take him to a, a secret ceremony where they revitalize him with the panther serum. Part of it is being buried and like uh, communing with the the past chiefs, the ancestors, yeah. And that part is really cool. It's a gorgeous purple backdrop. And uh, Michael B. Jordan, when he becomes king, uh, for the brief time that he is, he goes through the same ceremony and he runs into his father, uh, Sterling K. Brown's character, and they have this really great moment where I guess it's more of a flashback than it is kind of a, a conferring. Sure, but it's. It's kind of Michael B. Jordan's character's way of being able to say goodbye to his father, yeah. but also showing his father that he has progressed beyond even what he wanted to do. So it's kind of like the the monster you created. Yeah. Is, but it's also not Sterling K. Brown's character's fault. Right. Uh, Njobu's fault that his son turned out this way. Well, and it's really interesting. I was really interested by that scene in particular just because the times that we see... Um, T'Challa do it. We see him do it a couple times in the movie. It's this like you know beautiful African landscape, like something you you know wouldn't that, wouldn't seem out of place if you're watching The Lion King or something like just sort of that that sort of prototypical like African Afri- setting Africa. Um, but then when Michael B. Jordan does it, it's it's the apartment from the beginning of the movie, which is like such a such a, something that like you wouldn't necessarily think like it would have made perfect sense if he shows up by the tree but it makes so much sense for like oh it's going to like something that is like an, an important touchstone for you and for your ancestors and like for michael b for killmonger that is you know his whole thing with his dad so he shows up in this like sort of mystic version of his crappy oakland apartment and talks to his dad which is such an interesting little like which again is a flashback because his his dad is promising him like one day i'll take you to wakanda yeah and now it's now he is in Wakanda and he's king and it's definitely not what Njobu planned on having yeah. like not how he planned on having any of this take place. Yeah, it's like it's like weird like part flashback, part like passing of the mantle cuz I think they're all I, um I think they're all supposed to be these like sort of I think they're sort of supposed to be talked about like weird drug hallucinations. Yeah. Um so it it is such an interesting thing where we're like intercutting with Sometimes he show, when he sh- when he walks in he shows up and he's the kid version of himself, but then we also see there's a turning point there's in a, the scene where yeah, there's a point where he becomes hard and yeah. he then he becomes an adult Eric yeah. Stevens Killmonger yeah and that's just that's an interesting thing just setting it there I was all, I was struck by it just because it's such a thing that inf- it it's a small thing that informs a lot about the character and where his head's at and where he's coming from just even by by having him walk through the door and being in the apartment instead of like showing up at the tree or whatever. Yeah. And it, it's a really powerful moment. It's it's a really good scene too. Yeah. Um like I said, Sterling K. Brown's gonna he's gonna win millions of tons of awards in his lifetime as an actor. Um I don't know how long his contract with This Is Us is in there or how many seasons he's in for that, but as long as he's on that show, I'm gonna keep watching it. Yeah. Um he's fantastic in that show and I'll I'll go see any movie he's in. 
I just picked up Marshall this Christmas. I haven't watched it yet, but that's Chadwick Boseman, Sterling K. Brown, Anthony Mackie in that movie as well. Hmm. Um, it's about um, Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American oh, Supreme yeah, Court yeah, Justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to watch this movie, Like especially after seeing Black Panther. I'm like, I need to get this in my, my DVD player now. Yeah. So I, I'm excited for like anything Shirley King Brown is in. So um, yeah, any and that scene with Michael B. Jordan is fantastic. I don't think they ever actually appear on screen together. It's a bunch of cuts where they're just talking to each other. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that plays into it too because there's that divide because yeah. he never really got to have that time with his dad. Where T'Challa, almost everything is there in sh- at least in frame together. Yeah. So uh, I think there's some symbolism to be done there. Although they, I think I think they do the second time that T'Challa goes into it in a similar way, and that that one maybe maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not, but um, that would that would track because that second scene is also a really important one. It's where T'Challa realizes what kind of king he wants. And yeah, and to it's be. also like after after he has learned the truth that um you know his dad not only did this thing killed you know killed his brother for arguably justifiable reasons and then then also abandoned a kid abandoned his nephew yeah yeah a kid who like had a rightful spot um who you know would not have destroyed unraveled the fabric of the nation if they brought him back with him or something you know so like kind of once he's learned the truth of this original sin after previously you know revering his dad he goes in and is you know he's been beaten he's basically on the verge of death and his dad is like all right come on to the afterlife maybe this is a real afterlife maybe it's a hallucination whatever um but he's like no like i gotta go back and also like you really screwed it up you can swear on this podcast okay okay if you want to (laughs) well yeah you i mean you really fucked it up like you (laughs) You know, this is all because you abandoned a child, and just because that's the way we've always done things doesn't make it right. That's such a powerful scene, and I think there. If I'm remembering, if I'm remembering right, if I can speak, that's a similar kind of setup where we're seeing T'Challa alone in the frame, and then we're cutting between that and you know T'Chaka and the various kings and queens of past. But we're not seeing them together, so you could. I think we see them together, like when they like come face to face. But then I think you're right, where yeah. it's it's a bunch um, of cuts where so, they're not in frame together. So that could also be that could also be very intentional cutting, where there's a there's now a divide there. And even though they have the scene previously where Nakia tells him like no man is perfect, so like you know kings have to do thing bad things, but you know this is sort of a thing where they he he has to forge a new and very different path that other previous kings probably would have said that's not good or too far or something let's move on to the final fight sure and then we'll talk about what black panther sets up beyond the mcu or beyond within the mcu uh the final fight does end up being the panther versus panther but in the context of the story it makes sense it's it does not, make a lot of sense yeah it, it's not like oh iron man's fighting another iron man because some guy stole his technology or it's Captain America is finding the Winter Soldier, who is basically another Captain America. Uh, it's because Eric Killmonger has become the king, he is also now the new Black Panther. Yeah. And so now he has his own suit, and T'Challa still has his because Shuri stole or took the, took the, the necklace, necklace of before, <clears throat> before they abandoned Wakanda after Killmonger became the new king. So it, it works because T'Challa now has his suit, 
And Killmonger is technically the rightful Black Panther, although also technically not, because the fight is not over. Over, yeah. Uh, the fight that I'm referring to is the, the coronation fight, where they have to fight either to the death or into submission. Yeah. And either and, one happened for, you know, he, th- he throws him off the cliff. Killmonger throws T'Challa off the cliff, so everyone's like, he's dead. But and it then, ends up that the he's not uh, dead, Mbaku's yeah. tribe finds him, and they keep him alive. They give him the, the Black Panther herb to heal him. And that's a great moment, too, where M'Baku passes up the chance to take the herb to make yeah. him even stronger. Well, several characters, too, do as well. Where, like, um, Nakia. The, there's, yeah, there's a bit where um, Ramonda is like, you should take it. And I was, I saw it opening night. I was sitting next to my girlfriend, and, like, she also loved the movie. Like, she's very here for Lupita. She's very here for Shuri, for everybody. And, like, she says, you should take it. And, like, I see her, like, fist go up a little bit, like, yes, do it. But then she gives, like, a perfectly reasonable explanation for, oh, no, that's not that's not my thing. Like, I, that wouldn't do us any good if I did that. And then, arguably, M'Baku would have been able to do something with that because he's got the army. He's a, he's a king or chieftain. I'm, never, I'm not totally I think clear he's on... a chieftain. I'm not totally clear on the relationship between that tribe and the other tribes. But then when he has, when he realizes, oh, like... This dude's alive. I haven't told you yet that he's alive. I've got him here. You know, he like the because the, he's the character who earlier in the movie was like, "I'm the one who's going to fight you for the right to do this." Yeah, I, I want to be king. Yeah, I'm and be, like I'm the one that's going to lead Wakanda into greatness. Yeah, and he's the dude who's like, "Oh, well, he I'm not. You know, I I could take this right now, eat this thing, and like go do my thing." But he ends up being a pretty honorable character because he's like, "Okay, well, he's not actually dead. Like, you know, if there's a way to save him." we should save him. Mm. And that's the point where he kind of becomes, I mean, he's, he's sort of like a comic relief character in like that scene up, up to that point when you mentioned the thing. Yeah. The but vegetarian. I think that that's, that's intentional to build up that honorable. Yeah. And that's the point where he impactful. makes the turn where he's not just like an antagonistic character. He becomes like, okay, he's something more interesting than that. Yeah. And I, again, I can't wait to see more out of Mbaku, but this, this Panther versus Panther fight, it is it is a little difficult to watch because again you you can relate to what Eric wants to do and you definitely understand T'Challa's motivations and they're fairly evenly matched and it it basically comes down to uh, who can get the killing blow in first yeah uh, but the the fight is just it's not your typical Marvel movie fight they they end up on a a vibranium tramway where they they have to use like sound suppressors which negates uh, vibranium, which I thought they were going to blow up some vibranium or something because yeah. they they were making a big deal about how vibranium can be explosive, yeah, uh, due to the sound waves it generates. Uh, but they actually end up just using the the sound depressors to negate the the panther suits. Yeah, so you have this kind of cool visual during the fight where periodically the suits sort of become like they're sort of like breaking down, like they never totally go away, but like there are like. Spots in them were like the the nanites that built yeah, them so are sort of like receding. Yeah, but yeah, the, this fight it's it's difficult to watch because again you're you understand the plight of Eric and what he wants to do, and to, obviously T'Challa is the hero of the story, so obviously you you know he's going to win. But T'Challa gives him a moment where he's like, "We can still heal you when yeah. after the killing blow is made." That's a powerful moment because. You know they're they're offering him redemption, and he he says no. I'd rather die than live in chains. Well, yeah, and he specifically references like um, you know slaves who threw themselves over boats yeah. on the way you know on the way to 
the the colonies who were like, you know, we know that it's better to to die to free. die than live in bondage. Yeah. Um. So that's like, and so his whole thing is like, his ending is very tragic and sad, and it's like, you know, you you realize, okay, you were at the point where you were like, literally on the verge of like starting a new empire by like destroying the the world like the the world as as we know it so like you you know you can only you can't totally get with them there but i i see we're like up to the point where you say let's arm everybody and like see what happens up until that point you're like okay well i'm with you so far because you're not wrong because there's a point i think there's a point in the one scene where you get where he's doing like his his throne room thing where he's like so every like every single time black people have been oppressed and risen up and been beaten down because we don't have the weapons where were you guys you guys were there you guys were here and you had the weapons where were you and like you're like well yeah i mean and in, in, the, in the world where this this country exists it is sort of unconscionable that they wouldn't they would you know, turn a blind eye yeah, and even be if it, ignorant yeah even if it's not slavery if it's like oh maybe it's um there's some apartheid going on in south yeah, africa yeah in in literally on your continent um or you know police brutality or um jim crow or anything else um you know prison industrial complex like where are you guys to like say hey stop doing that we can we have the power to stop you so like you can see where you know maybe maybe i'm not along with you to say yeah we should overthrow all other governments and rule the world but i'm with you where like you're holding their feet to the fire as well wakanda's feet to the fire as well yeah and so, it, it like I said at the beginning uh, in the non-spoilers, this is a superhero movie, but it's a superhero movie that has something to say. And it, if people watch it, I don't want to say properly, but if people look at it intuitively, it's supposed to open up a conversation. Sure. And it's a conversation that uh, a lot of people that watch sports don't really want to have. Most of you know what I'm referring to. I'm going <laughs> to leave it vague if you don't. But yeah, it's a conversation that needs to happen because sure. we, we definitely are still living in a world where people are being oppressed and people are not being given opportunities that they deserve. Mm-hmm. And it's not infringing on the rights of the majority. But read a comic book sometime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Comic books are inherently political. Captain America. Yeah. No, you're right. And I think, and there's so. Uh, something I was mentioning before is like kill, so much of Killmonger's motivation is rooted in like the sins of Wakanda, which you know is are fictional, are made up. Um, you could have done probably anything with that faction of the story, but also so much of the fact that the parts of Africa that are kind of depressed and like sort of downtrodden are very often that way because of British and American colonialism and imperialism which is something that he also embodies that he's also everett uh, martin freeman's character mentions that sort of stuff by name so it's like it's an interesting thing where like they're not really commenting on it too hard that's just a facet of his character they're not doing a whole lot of stuff to say and also american imperialism is bad but you know it's 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 there. there it's there and it's um it's it's not something where like well wakanda's the villain here it's also like oh yeah but also like you can see a world where Wakanda would be like, we don't want any part of that because all these other nations around us were not like us. They weren't lucky enough to be able to close off their borders. And also they were demolished when people showed up with ships and then. Yeah. And, and Wakanda, while not entirely 
we're kind of not entirely unjustified in their thinking too, right. because they advanced beyond a certain point. While yes, they could share this technology with the world, they've seen what the world does with technology. Yeah, exactly. So you know, why would they want to share this technology if people are just going to turn it back on them or just go and take care of try and conquer other places? So well, yeah, that's it's, a thing. It's, yeah, it's a double edged sword, and I think the movie does a really good job of again trying to get you to talk about it. Yeah, and yeah, I think those. I think every this movie is something where almost every position, even the ones that are like. Like T'Chaka, right? Like he is a character who we find out eventually did something that is like incontrovertibly wrong. He killed a, he killed a father and then left his child, which is like a child who could and rightfully come and lived in his country. Based on what we know, you can understand his position that gets him there as far as his thinking goes. So like there's it's it's an interesting movie. It's an interesting in that no one character is like really wrong like a lot of their their sort of goals are wrong sort of their um methods are wrong but like their ideologies are generally you can see where they're coming from yeah they're justified and you can even relate to them yeah which is again where michael b jordan and eric, as eric killmonger is probably at least top three if not top two or maybe even best yeah. marvel villain ever um he because he is now dead he's not going to get that opportunity to, be, to reach loki status but I think he's going to end up being top three just because, again, we still have the opportunity to get more Michael Keaton as the Vulture. Yeah. Obviously, we're getting Loki for at least one more movie. I'm pretty sure he's going to bite it in the first 10 minutes of Infinity War. I would I'd buy that. Yeah. yeah. He's going to hand over the Tesseract and he's going to bite it. But to get that one movie performance and just elevate, again, the standard of what a Marvel movie villain should be. Yeah. A, a comic book movie villain, not just Marvel. Yeah. Because um, DC's kind of failed at this, too. Mm-hmm. It speaks to what this movie, the potential of this movie, and the fact that they reached it. Yeah. It, again, it, it's just it's a movie that has something to say and a conversation that needs to happen, and the people that don't like that don't need to have the conversation. Then. Well, yeah, and it's I mean, yeah, and it's something that's happening. It's been happening for a little while, but it's starting to happen more in comics. Where like, you know, with video games a couple of years back, where people are like, we don't want politics in our stuff but it's like not possible a it's not possible for that to happen because it seeps in every part of our lives but then b like these things have been doing this for a long time you just have not you've either been not been paying attention or you're you're reading stuff that aligns with what you already believe to be true i loved the uh quote-unquote fallout that the new wolfenstein game had where yeah you know they're like hunt some nazis this game has been in development for probably five or six years. Yeah. And they're just, they're about to release it. And that's their campaign. Wolfenstein has always been about an alternate universe where Nazis reign. Right. And all of a sudden people are like, uh, we should leave politics out of this. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, and part, and to be fair, part of that was like, they were, ex- they were cause last year in politics in America in 2017, for any number of reasons, we saw a weird resurgence of people that were sympathizing with Nazis and the the marketing for that game like leaned into that super hard. Like, hey, you want to you want to bash some hey, Nazi skulls? Hey, is it is it because there was a huge conversation in some circles? Like, is it okay to punch someone if they say they're Nazi? Like, first of all, hell yes, it is. <laughs> uh, you can't see me, but I'm wearing a shirt that says as much right now. So, so part of it was like they they leaned into that the the zeitgeist of the moment pretty hard, but also like a lot of the people there were the people who were like, can you just like leave stuff out of my games? Like, no, like it's not possible. Like. 
you you can't play a game like Call of Duty, any number of them, which is like drenched in the kind of stuff we've been talking about, like American exceptionalism and imperialism and colonialism, and then turn around and say like, well, Wolfenstein's taking it too far. Like it's all there. It just depends on which one is aligning with your worldview. Very good point. I didn't even think about that one. I just thought it was funny. Oh well, yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> again, Wolfenstein has always been about. Well, yeah, and there's there is that part too where it's like all of a sudden, like this game where the first one is, oh, you are literally running around a castle, like stabbing Nazis and their dogs, and that oh, now not even that, not even that going that far back, there was a this is the sequel to a game that came out like three years ago. Or four years ago, the, the the most recent first Wolfenstein, and it doesn't seem like anybody had a problem then. One of the very first Xbox 360 games I remember being advertised was I forget the name of it, but it was about an alternate universe where Nazis won and took over America. Yeah, I forget the name of it right now, but it's basically Man in the High Castle, and mm-hmm. you're leading a resistance to take down the Nazis in America. Yeah, back in 2005, no one cared. Yeah, and it's it's and you know we we could I could probably go for. <laughs> another hour about how messed up it is that we don't automatically oh you're a nazi you're a, you're a shithead <laughs> well yeah like yeah that's that, that's not the default position for too many people on all sides of the political spectrum um that it's not a given that if you're a nazi you're a bad person and anyone who associates with you is sort of bad by default because <laughs> they're willing to at least overlook that that's the world we have built for ourselves. Apparently, so um, that got <laughs> got a little, yeah. But I mean, again, it, it's a discussion that should happen. I know people don't listen to this podcast for that, so I do apologize if we turned you off a little bit. We do tend to try and steer away from politics, but it, I mean, if you don't agree with Nazis, bad, right? Maybe you don't want to listen to my podcast. <laughs> well, well, and I guess I would say, like, I, I could, I, people don't even necessarily go that far. Like, even if you're like, okay, I'm, I'm I don't want. I, I hate Nazis, right? But my comic books or whatever, my comic book movies, I don't want them to have. I want them to be as politi- politically neutral as possible. And maybe some of them are listening right now, and they're upset that we're talking about this, which is fine. But I would say, like, like you mentioned earlier, like there, this stuff has been in the in these comic books for forever. Like it's from the, from the the moment they happened. Like yeah. uh you turned me on to listen up A-holes and I listened to the the Captain America First Avengers uh First Avenger episode and I did not realize uh or know that Steve Rogers was intentionally made to look like the Aryan ideal. Yeah. I well, didn't and and that makes perfect sense and it's awesome that they did that. Well yeah, and it seems and, it, and something about that also um, that cover, that first issue of Captain America Comics where he is punching out Hitler seems innocuous because it's Hitler, but it was published at a time when America was not involved in World War II. And there, there, was, there was a not insignificant portion of the American people who were like kind of, you know, this, and this was obviously before a lot of this, a lot of the breadth of what they were doing, what the Nazis were doing was public, but there was a not insignificant number of people who were sympathetic with the Nazis in the United States. There was like American, American Nazi party. So yeah, like, they, they even apparently had a camp like just outside of New York. Yeah. So there was like, there was, that was a controversial cover, like a very political, it was a very political statement, like a very intentional political statement. Yeah. So I, again, if you don't want politics in your comics, Maybe maybe take a look in the mirror and be like, 
do I need to have a different discussion? Well, yeah, look yeah. At something different. And like I said a couple times, I think a lot of times when people think of something as apolitical, they're just looking at things that happen to align with the politics that they think of as neutral, which yeah. is not quite the same. And we could talk about that for forever, but I have a feeling that <laughs> yeah. we want to uh, move on. So, yeah, let, let's move on to the implications of uh, what happens at the end of Black Panther and what that means for the rest of the Marvel Universe. T'Challa takes his place as king, and he's decided that Wakanda is going to have a greater, is going to help the world. It's going to have a greater presence in the world, and it's going to start helping uh, at-risk neighborhoods and trying to improve the world around it. Uh, so it's you see T'Challa at the basketball court uh, just outside the apartment complex in Oakland where his uncle was murdered and his cousin was orphaned. Yep. And he reveals his Black Panther jet to yeah. the kids playing basketball. And uh, it's it's a great moment. And then we get a post credit scene that is very reminiscent of Tony Stark's I Am Iron Man moment. We don't get that I Am Iron Man moment. But it's you still get a really great speech that I feel like should have been at, in the actual movie, so yeah. people didn't walk out on it. Yeah, the scene is like um, he's giving this honestly, sort of like um, it's like a sort of like a like a not I want to say generic only because it's very short on specifics. Where he's like, "Hey, I'm from Wakanda. We have to all come together. We have to be one people, one tribe." And like in the the, the context of this universe, everyone thinks that Wakanda is like a third world country. So like the people at the UN are like, well, what do you? What are a bunch of farmers gonna do? Yeah, what do you have to offer? And like it ends, and this like, him like he just has like this smirk. He has a smile like, oh, you don't even know. Um, yeah. And honestly, like I I think I mentioned this to you before. I I originally thought that probably should have been like the end of the movie, but then also the scene ends or the actual movie ends where they're in the they're in the basketball court, and this you know they're they've they, revealed the ship and like a bunch of kids are like whoa that's crazy that's cool and but there's one kid that sticks behind who like walks up to t'challa and he's like hey who are you which is like like i mentioned before is like a big like who is this guy like that's that's sort the of theme. his theme of the movie so it, it's it's also an appropriate way to end it but i remember thinking like i found myself thinking like in as much as the post credit scenes are quote-unquote not really part of the movie that one i felt like should have been part of the movie yeah, I agree. And uh, the other post credit scene we get is Shuri going to visit Bucky, but the scene opens with three kids just kind of standing over him oh, yeah. waiting for him mm-hmm. to wake up, which it, my, our friend Lewis uh, was with the group that I went with uh, Thursday night. And like you just see these kids staring at the camera, and he just goes, oh, hello. <laughs> and so it just sits there for about... 10 15 seconds and then finally the oh he's waking up better run and we find out that it's bucky Mm -hmm. and we see bucky uh he still doesn't have his new arm or anything yet that we've seen in the infinity war trailer i had to laugh a little bit because obviously his hair is a little bit longer at this point but he looked a little bit like brendan frazier from georgia the jungle (laughs) yeah he looked really he looked silly he looked a little silly and i just really wanted him to be like nice butt flap Yeah, and that scene really just establishes like, oh, hey, he's he's, he's still cured. around and he's awake. He's awake now, which yeah, apparently which means, means he's cured. Yeah, because he said, he said in, at the end of Civil War that he should stay under until he's cured, which, again, I mentioned in the, the Black Panther prelude comic, Shuri cures him fairly quickly yeah, after which getting there. Is fu- I mean, it's fine. We, I didn't need to see a bunch of stuff where he... I didn't need that to be in it, part of Infinity War, the intrigue of whether or not he's going to be... Yeah, you, assume, you would assume as much. A Manchurian candidate anymore, yeah. So, um, 
But what does Black Panther lead up to for Infinity War, since this is our last movie before we get this May release? Well, I was honestly a little surprised, because I think I mentioned also mentioned it to you before, where the, the Infinity War trailers we've seen, the action is largely in what we can assume to be Wakanda, or an African country near Wakanda. Yeah, just outside Wakanda, um, at least. You know, like the, the army's fighting in these big, huge fields. So my expectation was they would there would be some MacGuffin in this movie that even if they didn't single it out would be something that was obviously the last infinity stone. Like, you know, the way they've revealed MacGuffins of various movies to be, um, which didn't happen. So I'm guessing, I guess we're just going to see. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that the last infinity stone is not in Wakanda. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Coogler said that they already had their thing in vibranium for this movie. Yeah. Which so makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't want to like overcharge it with another MacGuffin or another item. So it makes perfect sense that they wouldn't do that. So it, it doesn't rule it out. And I, I raised this on one of my message boards that I'm on that maybe the vibranium is still the soul stone, uh, which I think it's complete conjecture right now that it's the soul stone. Some people still think that it might be Heimdall, but I don't know if he's confirmed to be in the movie. If he is, it's very early on. Yeah, but I'm not sure either. I, I argue that it can't be Heimdall because... In the Thor the Dark World post credits scene, they have the Tesseract, and then Sif and the Warriors 3 are bringing the Aether, which is revealed to be a new Infinity Stone, and they say it's not wise to keep more than one yeah. Infinity Stone in one place. So why is Heimdall an exception to that rule, then? Yeah, that's a weird bit of um, fan theorizing that I hadn't heard. and I, It just seems like it would... I don't know. That doesn't strike me... Yeah, I mean, because it could just right, easily be you know. magic blessed upon him by Odin. So it yeah, it, it works either way. Is, is the idea that like his powers come from yeah? Because he can see every stone? soul in the universe or something like that. Yeah, I guess I can see where people will get there. I'm not. I don't think I'm crazy about that. Um, I think it's more likely just to be oh, some artifact in the throne room or something. We just oh, we never knew that that's what this was. It was just this jewel we found, and then. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the main reason I want to bring up like what this movie sets up is that it actually doesn't set up much. It's yeah. it's very much a standalone movie uh, within the Marvel universe. Like they have two little ties to it. Really, you have Claw, and then you have the mention of Civil War. Then the rest of it really is pretty self contained. Which I think has been largely true of a lot of the quote unquote like Phase Three movies. Um, I think I think in the second one we saw a lot of movies that were like looking f- forward. And I think because and then a lot of a, a lot of the movies we've gotten this time around have been like new trying to launch new series like Doctor Strange, Spider Man in its way, Black Panther. I guess te- Ant Man is technically here think, as well. Ant Man was Phase Two. Okay. It, was, it was the closer to Phase Two. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, <clears throat> then it's so much. So many of these movies are. Um, I guess Thor and Captain America were both kind of doing their thing as well, but a, a lot of the movies we've had in this phase have been okay we need to start setting up for whatever happens after because a we're, lot of our, we're losing captain america a lot of our actors Man. may or may not be dead or you know retired after this yeah um so i, I think i feel like that's been a lot uh the case for a lot of these movies and i feel like it's they're generally stronger for it i definitely love this movie it's I think the next episode we're going to do, not you and I specifically, but the next episode that that we'll do for the podcast is ranking the Marvel movies. And Black Panther has definitely jumped into my top five. I would say that's probably true for me as well. Um, It's 
it's just a, such a strong it's got such a strong identity it is it's got so many rich characters that that can kind of establish what they're about without too without uh, i don't know what i'm trying to say expositing without a bunch of expositing with sort of an an, an economy of screen time like i was mentioning before we have a, a couple characters who tell you what they're about and tell you what they're about well with just a couple of scenes normally in the on this podcast when we've done movie reviews we say this is either a must see or a hard pass i don't think this has to really get a rating because i feel like again this movie regardless of whether you like superhero movies or not needs to be seen yeah this again this movie kind of transcends superhero movies it, it uses the superhero movie as a platform mm-hmm. to make a statement and i think it it should be seen by as many people as possible and uh i don't think i've mentioned the the weekend box office uh we don't have the full weekend box office because of when we're recording but it did take in uh 25.2 million dollars from thursday screenings which is two million shy of the highest grossing marvel thursday screening which is the age of ultron its friday total including that 25.2 million was 75 and a half i think it also is like um was like the fastest or most in like pre-sales it's it's uh it sold the most tickets within the first 24 hours for any marvel movie ever which is great yeah so uh and it's all well deserved um this movie is fantastic in my opinion um I, regardless of your stance on superhero movies, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you don't like superhero <laughs> movies. Um, but I definitely say this is a must-see. Um, obviously, from what you're saying, yeah. definitely a must-see. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts you have there that you want to share on the movie? Uh, no, not specifically. Uh, just it's it's real good. And um, I guess I would say, in lieu of any thoughts about the movie, I didn't really get to it, but there, there were a lot of... Um, things i don't know i don't know which one follows the other but there were a lot of like visual cues that i saw that were kind of shared with the the current ta-nehisi coats run with the comics like those fighter ships are like straight out of those books okay i don't know if like um maybe kugler got his inspiration from that or if maybe ta-nehisi or i guess star brian starfleet is the artist knew like got some advanced tips on the art style there but there's a lot of like stuff here that is sort of shared visually with that run that's ongoing, which is very good, and I would recommend people check it out. Yeah, I know um, we share an account, so I, I it's definitely in my my things of uh, stuff I need to do while I have my my time off, and if I ever actually have a moment of rest right, with yeah. the kid. Um, but it, I my iPad is currently out of commission, so I have to oh, find no. a new. Uh, <laughs> way of reading it and i don't really care for reading comics on my phone yeah it's, it's not so great. small uh but like ton has coats christopher priest reginald hudlin like those are all like strong like sort of seminal runs with black panther that we didn't talk much about the comics but those are all things that like those are sort of the runs that i feel like people talk about when they talk about black yeah because black panther uh as as far as the main pop culture goes doesn't really have a defining run that a lot of people would be able to be like, oh yeah, that's a Black Panther yeah. story. Yeah, they're there, but like not everybody knows about them. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, I think those are a couple of the good ones, and there's probably more than I don't. Because I feel like I've read a, a few things, but there's, I'm definitely no scholar. There's definitely, those are good places to get you started. Yeah, so, if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, definitely some, uh, some good little thoughts there uh, for anyone that's interested in reading the comics. So uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Matt, thanks for yes, graciously coming down and hanging out with me to talk about this wonderful movie. I had a good time. Hopefully I don't um, sound too much like an idiot. <laughs> I'll edit it. So you do. Don't <laughs> worry. Do you want to share any of your social media? 
Uh, sure. I guess the best place, uh, if you're at all interested to follow me, is on Twitter. I'm uh, Matt at mrliperata, L-I-P-A-R-O-T-A, at Twitter. And you can always follow me uh, on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. Scar is spelled S-K-A-A-R, like Scar, son of Hulk. Um, you can follow Talking Smack on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod. Smack is S-M-A-C. And you can always email the podcast as well at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Share your thoughts, feedbacks, concerns, questions, whatever. We're open to everything. So thanks again for listening. And roll that theme music.